This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Rob Tombrella, pastor at Grace Church. Take out your Bibles. If you don't mind, and turning your Bibles to John chapter 11. If you're new to the Bible, it's the fourth book in the New Testament. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we're in the 11th chapter of John. And I want to ask a question today and say, can we talk? Good. Yes. We, I can talk to a couple of you. <laughs> let's, let's talk. Let's talk about something that unifies us all this morning. No matter where you're coming from, no matter what your background is, no matter how unique you feel like your challenges are to you or to other people in the room that nobody would quite relate to your specific uh, challenges, is that we are similar in that we fear the delays of life. We fear the delays of life. And by that, I don't mean like the, the small, funny delays, like by the time you hit start on the microwave, but between the time you do that and you get the popcorn. I mean the serious delays of life. You and I are all struggling if we're honest, with some delay that we have laid before God, that we have asked God to fulfill, and we have wondered, in the theory of that fulfillment, what happened to God? What happened to God's heart towards me? What happened to God's love towards me? Maybe you come here this morning and you're waiting for a dream in your heart to come true. I'm not talking about some Disneyland dream. I'm talking about a God-given good desire, a dream in your heart, a vision that you've had to come true in your life or in your family, in your parenting or in your job or something like that. Some, some vision to, to happen and it hasn't come true yet and you've been delayed in that. You feel sidelined and sidetracked and maybe a little bit abandoned. Or maybe you feel delayed because you want a burden to be lifted from you. God, when are you going to lift this particular burden up off of me? You, you know about it. Other people know about it. My community group knows about it. People at my workplace know about this, and yet it's still on me, this burden. Maybe you want something to change, and it hasn't changed yet. Maybe you want a sickness in your life to be healed, whether physical or emotional, or sickness in somebody close to you. God, when are you going to heal this sickness? Maybe there's a particular feeling that you wish would just go away and it haunts you. It threatens you. It's just a live threat. It just seems to never go away. And in the absence of, of the present realization of the fulfillment of the thing that you've asked for, you've wondered, has God taken one huge, large step back from me? In this delay, it feels like God's silent towards me. He's not speaking anything to me. He's not revealing anything to me. In fact, he stepped back from me and from my hurt and from my wants and from these good desires that I have. And he's gone silent in the waiting. It's like I'm texting God, I'm calling God, and he's picking up the phone saying, I'm not interested in talking to that person. Today we're going to look at a story of a family that experiences a serious delay from God. And it could test them, it tempts them, it causes a struggle in their thinking about how they relate to God and is God taking a step back or is he taking a step forward? 
Is he going silent or is he speaking? And we're going to see that the, that the delays of our life aren't God's way of going silent towards us, but they're God's way of speaking to us and declaring something to us about himself. Delays aren't silences with God, but declarations from God. God uses delays to declare himself to us. It's a long passage. It's the whole book of chapter 11, this whole chapter. So we're going to move quickly, but I'm going to set the scene by just reading the first 16 verses and pray, and then we'll get started. Starting in verse 1, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Note that. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? This happened in the last chapters, you'll recall. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Father, cause us, cause us this morning to take these delays and discouragements that we feel And see that you're speaking something to us personally, directly. Your eyes are on us. Your ears are attentive to the delays. And you want us to believe something about you. Help us by your Holy Spirit. We're asking a big prayer. We're asking you to take take a huge delay that we may feel embittered towards you or towards others about. And we're asking you to do something amazing in our life and cause us to believe where belief is threatened. In Jesus' name. Amen. Quick question. Did God quit loving Lazarus? Verse 3 says, The sister sent to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That was the reputation of Jesus towards Lazarus. Jesus loves Lazarus. The sisters knew that Jesus loves Lazarus. 
And Lazarus is ill. So they sent to Jesus, who's healed many people and caused many miraculous manifestations of his glory. Surely Jesus would come in for his friend and heal Lazarus. Does now he not love Lazarus? In verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So what's happening in verse 6 when he hears that Lazarus is ill and he chooses to stay two days longer in the place where he was? The situation is an emergency. Lazarus is on the brink of death and Jesus, hearing about the news of his friend, chooses to stay two days longer and delay the fulfillment of the request. The, the, the disciples are thinking it's because there's you know, a threat to his life. And Jesus actually says in verse 14, No, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. God's heart is that something happens in his delaying. He, he is glad in his heart that something good is going to come out from the delay when he reveals some more things to this family that he loves. He loves them more than to raise Lazarus in this moment. And we'll see exactly what he does. And the, the outline for this morning, it's sort of, sort of simplistic, I hope, it, I hope it helps, is that delays declare Christ's promises, his passion, and his power. It's true in this text and it's true in our lives. The waiting rooms of our lives whether that is a true waiting room in a hospital, or you just feel like you are in this holding station and just ready for the page in the chapter to turn, those stations in life reveal something of Christ's promises and His passion and His power. So let's look at His promises first in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been dead I'm sorry, already been in the tomb four days. Very specific. Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary, Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She She knows the power of Jesus. My brother would not have died. Do do we know the power of Jesus the way Martha knows it? She says in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I hear hope in her voice. She knows that Jesus can do the impossible. And it's almost like she's drawing him out. Are you going to do the impossible? Should I hope or should I hold back any hope and any faith? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Just makes this promise, just lands this promise on her. Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she says, I know that truth to be true. I know that's going to be true. In the future, I know that's going to happen then, which is oftentimes what we do with the promises of who Jesus is. Sometimes it's too focused, might be true, but too focused on the future, what Jesus will do for us in the future. And those are true. We need to hang on to those and hold on to those. 
Martha's saying, that's true. Resurrection will happen on the last day, Lord. And I'm believing these things. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. She she has faith in verse 27 to say, yes, Lord, I believe what you have just said. I believe that you are the Christ. You are the son of God who's coming into the world. So she's choosing belief right here in, in this moment, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, but she, she believes what Jesus has just said. And not just something about the, the future. He's saying right now, Martha, I am something for you. And Jesus says this to us right now. He says, I am something for you in the future. But you need to know something about how I am something for you in the future is that that's because I am something for you right now. I am the resurrection and the life, not just someday in the future, but right now, right in this very moment. I am supernatural life to you. Now, this is. This is good news to us. You and I need life. And we don't just need life in the future. We don't just need life a week from now or two months from now or 10 years from now. We need life like right now. Like even as you're like in your seats listening to the sermon and you're thinking about all these other things that you feel like the walls, walls are caving in on you on some things and you need life and you're tempted to fear. You need life. You need life right now. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life now, right now. Right in this very moment, any time that you need life, any time that you need resurrection power, I am that for you. And he's, he's, he's holding up a promise to Martha and he says, here's the promise of who I am right there. Not just someday, maybe not just out there in the future, although that's true too, but right now, right in this moment. And she, he's pressing Martha into this promise. Do you believe it? That's what he asks. Do you believe this? And that's what he's doing with us right now. About this promise, yes. But about a number of different promises in our lives. So I don't know exactly what in your heart you feel most discouraged about, but he's holding open a promise to you in the middle of that discouragement. He says, here I am. This is what I am for you in that. Do you believe this about me right now? And just gently behind each of our backs, he is gently pressing us into that promise and saying, do you believe this about me right now? You're feeling weak and he's saying, I am strong for you. I'm not asking you to be strong. I know you're not strong. Quit trying to pretend to be strong. I am strong and I'm pressing you into this truth about me. Do you believe that I'm strength for you? In your confusion, do you realize that I'm wisdom for you and I'm pressing you into the fact that I am this for you. I am the life of wisdom. In massive discouragement, I'm comfort for you. In, in trials of despair, I am joy for you. And in moments of complete darkness, where you just can't see your way through this thing, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Do you believe it? Press into this. Believe this about me. Hold on to the promise of who I am for you. That's what he's saying to Martha. I want you to believe something, Martha. Stop doubting. Doubt your doubts. Believe what I am 
for you. Do you believe this? Oh, would we hear Jesus saying that to us right now? Do you hear him saying that about your, your trial right now? I'm, I'm something for you in this and I want you to believe me for that. Maybe you're unaware of a, of a particular trial. Well, hold on to this promise. If, if you're unaware of a, of a particular place that God wants you to believe, a particular promise about him, maybe this passage speaks directly to your situation. Maybe you really are afraid of death right now. It's a common fear. You're not unique. All of us, to some degree, fear death. We fear what happens to us, what happens to our bodies. We fear what happens to our friends, our family members, the vacuum that it leaves, the discouragement that comes. We hate death, and Jesus hates death in this passage, as we'll see in a moment. Well, hold on to this passage. Hold on to this promise. He says, look, though he die, yet he shall live. If you are in Christ, Jesus says, though he die, he shall never die. Do you see that? Though he die, and you were all going to die physically, the death rate is 100% in this room. You're going to die. I hate to break the news. All of us are physically, unless the Lord tarries, we hope he returns soon, but we're, we're all going to die. Our bodies are, are wasting away. And Jesus says, though he die, he shall never die. No question about it. Though you die, you will never die. Do you see that? Though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because I'm the resurrection and the life. To close your eyes in death is to open them up. To the presence of Christ. I was talking about this with somebody after the first service. This is Paul's great hope in the Corinthians. This is not some kind of weird soul sleep. No soul sleep. No sleep. You will awaken to Christ in death immediately with pure joy to be in the presence of Christ. So much so, Paul was so caught up in it. He said, I don't know which to choose. If you were to ask me, I'd say I'd rather go and be with him. Uh, but for your sake, I'm laboring in the body. So, He wanted to be in the presence of Christ so much because the joy is so great. So hold on to that. Maybe you're afraid of death. Though he die, you shall never die. Never. But for all of us, there's a promise that he's presenting to you and he's pressing you into. And he says, in this delay, believe this promise. Believe this about me. Let's look at his passion. God wants to speak to us about his passion. His emotions, if you will. His sympathies. Look at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So if you've lived long enough, you've been to funerals. And this is the moment from the funeral to the graveside. That that solemn moment where you've just experienced the funeral and now it's time to get into the car and go out to the graveside or walk out to the graveside depending on where the funeral is. You should feel the somberness of the moment you should feel the finality of the moment. Lazarus has been dead for four days. 
I mean, grief has, has come, the shock is gone, consolation has now come and set in, and now they're going to the graveside. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she says the same thing that Martha said. Mary recognizes the love of Jesus. Mary recognizes what we so often struggle with. God loves us. Jesus loves us. Jesus was quite willing to heal anybody that came to him. And he loved Lazarus. It wasn't a pretending love. He loved him. Mary knew it. Martha knew it. So she repeats back what Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Notice the amazing truth here that we're seeing in verse 33. Jesus looks at the tears that are flowing from Mary's face on her cheek, maybe onto the ground. He looks at Martha's tears. He looks around and he sees the weeping that's happening at this funeral. And knowing what he's about to do, he just takes a moment. I mean, he just takes a moment to identify with our weaknesses. And our suffering and our weeping. He, he takes a moment to see. He looks. Some of you here today, you wonder, does God see my tears? Does he see the tears that fall from my cheek onto the ground? He sees the tears. He takes the time out to see her weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And he's deeply moved. The uncreated God who took on human flesh in his humanity is deeply moved for human beings who are struggling and tempted and tried and hurting. And he's deeply moved. And he's greatly troubled. It's not a no big deal moment. He's greatly troubled. And then he says, where have you laid him? He takes a moment to be troubled before he asks that question. He takes a moment to see. And then he asks, and then they said, Lord, come and see. Verse 35. I mean, this is a verse that you've you've heard as children. Maybe you memorized it as a child. Until this week, I, I just have not taken time out to really think and contemplate On the magnitude of verse 35, Jesus wept. It's the only time in the Greek that this word ever appears, and it means that he burst into tears. I just think about that. We're not talking about some sinful emotionalism. We're not talking about him shedding tears out of a deficit of his heart. But out of an overflow of his heart, And out of an identifying with the human need and the human condition, he cries. He cries. At this graveside, he cries. He takes a moment to cry in front of people. I mean, I just be honest, it is so hard to cry in front of people. You know what I'm talking about? 
Isn't that like the hardest thing in the world to do, to cry in front of people? You like shield, you shield your face, other people cry in front of you, and you, you kind of don't want to look because it's just such a holy moment when you see people crying. And it, for me, I mean, it never happens when it's supposed to happen. I never cry at the moments I'm supposed to cry. I always cry at the moments when I'm not supposed to cry. It just sneaks up on me, and oh, suddenly I'm bawling like a little child. You know what I'm talking about? Does that happen to you? Like at my wedding, everybody's looking at me, and my wife is coming down the aisle, and I'm, everybody's, it's like the moment that you're supposed to cry, and I was just beaming ear to ear. I was so happy. I wasn't crying. Uh, maybe I should have cried. Sorry, I didn't cry. Um, but there was this, there's this other time when I was, when I was pastoring a little church out in the country, I was invited by uh, a group of ladies to come do a round table discussion of a book review, and I honestly didn't want to go. I just thought, oh, I'm not going to have anything good to say. It's just, uh, I just sinfully not want to go. Okay, You're, you've been there. So I, I, I show up. I prepare something kind of half-heartedly, get something together, and I'm prepared to share a passage out of, I believe it was uh, R.C. Sproul's Save From What book. It's a great book. I think this is in there. If it's not, sorry. So I'm just relaying this book to, to people, and, and you know I'm just being nice. And all of a sudden, I'm sharing the story about R.C. Sproul's talking about how his dad, who was an invalid, he would, he would pick up every single day. And it's real specific about how every day he cared for his dad, day after day. And it was such a picture of the gospel, how Christ cares for us and, and has sympathy towards our burdens. And, uh, and so as I'm sharing this, it just, it just starts coming. The tears just start coming. You know what I'm talking about? Where the, I mean, it's just, I can't control it. Here we go. And when I cry, it's not like uh, I can just make it through. I can muscle through it. It's I'm I'm over. I'm done. So if I had to hold it together, like don't cry, don't stop doing it. But that's how we do with tears and, and and with weeping. We we don't want to express that emotion, and and we don't want other people to kind of see it. We shield ourselves, and it's hard for us to look at it. But don't do that with Jesus in this verse. Don't rush past this verse and. Not take time to stop and look at him weeping. Look at him crying. Look at the tears fall from his, his face. He's not weeping because he's angry at the lack of faith. I preached that one time. He's angry at the lack of faith. Wrong. Look at verse 36. The reputation of his tears is see how he loved him. That was, that was the takeaway. The takeaway was, did you see his face? Did you see his tears? Did you see how, how he wept for Lazarus? Did you see the, the affection of his heart for Lazarus? Did you see how that just fell from his face? Did you see how much he loved him? That was the reputation that his tears got. That, that noise went through the village, not something else. In Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, there is great power. There's great power. As we look at the sympathy of Jesus, we're going to put the verse up here on the screen. There is great power of faith to draw near to God when we see the sympathy of Jesus in Scripture and don't quickly turn away, don't quickly go away from it, but actually see his suffering and see his sympathy and see his compassion. Something happens in us by work of the Holy Spirit that 
does something amazing. Look at the look at the end of the verse. This is actually verse 16. It doesn't show up on the screen, but it says, draw near with confidence. You see that? With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. So without even looking at the front part of it, how do we draw near to the throne of grace? How do we get grace and receive mercy to find grace? That's what we need in time of need. What need? Any time of need. I mean, just unqualified. Any time of need, where do you find grace to help? We see help in many, many multiple times of needs in our life. And where do we get this confidence? Where does Scripture say we get this confidence right here? We get this confidence because we have a high priest who is able to, that's the opposite of unable, he is able to sympathize with our weakness. He feels and experiences our God does in Christ, sympathy, sympathy, compassion for our weakness. Why? Because he is one who in every respect, note that every single way, every single weakness of the human condition, he in every respect was tempted as we are. He was tested. He was put through the fire of that temptation, yet without sin. And not just in a small way, but in the the biggest way possible. The biggest form of loneliness he experienced. The biggest fear of abandonment. The, the, The most threatening demonic temptation. He experienced that. In every respect. There's nobody that can say, God doesn't understand me. You could say that to me. I, you don't understand me. Yeah, I, I hear you. You're, you're going through a suffering and, and, a, and a trial I've not experienced. Nobody can say that to Jesus. And you can't say that to him this morning. If you've distanced yourself from him and said, you have not experienced this. Hebrews would say differently. He is able to sympathize. Not only able, but he does. He feels and experiences sympathy, not out of a deficit. Don't think deficit as if his uh, happiness is dependent on your not suffering anymore, something like that, but out of an overflow, out of a complete perfect love for you. He feels sympathy. It's important at this point that we don't confuse sympathy that God experiences towards us in Christ as if he's suffering in the same way with us. I mean, if, if, he, if he's suffering in our discouragement, in our depression, and he needs us to comfort him before he can comfort us, that doesn't work. It's not biblical. It's not a, not a good road to go down. And that's a popular idea about God, as if he, he can't really express sympathy unless he's going through the suffering with us. That's actually not what, what Scripture uh, teaches. God's present sympathy His experience of sympathy towards us right now is rooted in Christ's past suffering for us. How he suffered for us in every way as an example and as a substitute. In that way, that's how he's able to come to our our rescue in our suffering. Not only that, when Romans 12 tells us to weep with those who weep, how do we do that if we're looking to a God who's experiencing suffering and needs to be comforted before he can comfort us? No, that's just not not accurate. Jesus experienced human suffering for us and is now able to come 
to the rescue of anybody who's experiencing suffering. Anybody. Just call out to him. Can I dare you? Call out to him. Roll the dice in your suffering and see if he's not able to come to your aid. So land the plane right here on this point. What temptation are you suffering right now? Just be very specific. What temptation right now are you most suffering from? Is it fear? A betrayal of some kind? An abandonment? A physical challenge of any kind? Some kind of a live threat that looms over you in your life? Jesus feels sympathy for you, child of God. He feels sympathy for you. And because he feels sympathy for you, he wants you to draw near to him in that trial and not go away from him. So the delays of life communicate his passion, but look what else, his power. Let's look at his power. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Note the detail. He's walking up to the tomb. He's walking up to where Lazarus is dead. He's going to the graveside right now. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Now he's about to do something supernatural, but I just find it interesting that he invites very unsupernatural people on his mission. And he says, take away the stone. He's about to do something incredible that only he can do, but he involves us in what he does supernaturally. He says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, notice Lazarus doesn't even have a name anymore. He's this, the dead man. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. I mean, she is practical as ever. I mean, the fourth day is pretty specific because it's, it's the time when the body starts to decompose. And Martha's aware of that. The, the body's decomposing. I mean, there's an odor coming from his body. I mean, huge family embarrassment at stake right now. Embarrassment for them. Embarrassment for Jesus, who's now said, take away the stone. And an odor is, is going to be coming off of this body. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Note, note the, the sequence. If you believe, you will see, not the opposite way. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes. Now just stop there for a second. I just love the pauses. He pauses to weep. He pauses to look. And now he pauses to pray. He lifts up his eye past the cave, past the darkness, past the death, past the decomposing body, and he looks up to his father. And we can do that right now today. No matter what's dying in your life, no matter what's decomposing in your life, no matter what's giving off an odor in your life, no matter if you are so transfixed on the death of this thing, you can look past that and up to your father. He's an example for us in this, that he looks away and up to his father who is able to do anything. He looks up. And he says, I thank you, Father, 
that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around. Note the heart of Jesus is to reveal his glory to anybody standing around. All the people. I'm saying this out loud, not because I need to hear it, but because you need to hear it and I need to hear it. All the people need to hear and to see the power of the Father and that they may believe. That's why he's praying. I'm doing this and I'm about to do this miracle that they may believe that you, what is that, sent me. I want them and you want them to believe that you, Father, you sent me. You are the sending, compassionate Father who wants people to be saved and come into life and relationship with you. And the only way that's going to happen is if they believe that you sent me. And I want them to believe that. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, and I won't be able to do it justice. You can use your imagination. Lazarus, come out. You know, the old, the old illustration was that he had to be specific because if he had just said, come out, all the dead out of the tombs would have come out and started walking towards Jesus. So he gets really specific and says, Lazarus, not all of you. One day it will be all, everybody. One, one day it will be all the dead. But here, just Lazarus, foretaste of the future. Lazarus, come out. And verse 44 says, the man who died came out. You, know, you note that. It's still the man who died. John wants us to be overwhelmed with the fact that this is, guy was dead. He was four days dead. And the man who died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. I mean, he comes out like a mummy. I mean, he just comes out not even seeing anything because the, the death clothes are around his eyes and his body. I mean, his hands are covered in this, in these grave clothes. And he just, he just hears the voice of God as it's promised in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. And as soon as I speak the name, that person is alive and awakened and risen from the dead. And that's what he does. He, he hears the voice of Jesus and he comes out of the grave and he's just wearing grave clothes. I mean, he just starts walking towards the voice, you know? I mean, just, can you picture it? Picture a mummy, okay? Picture a mummy coming out of a grave site and he's just walking. He doesn't, he can't see a thing. He's just hearing the voice of Jesus. I mean, that's a great picture of the Christian life. That's what happened to each and every one of you in this room if you're a Christian. You might say, oh, I wish I had a great testimony. There it is. Right there. I, I, was, I was saved as an eight-year-old child. I wish I had a, like a drugs to Jesus testimony. It was much worse than drugs to Jesus. It was from death to Jesus for you. You were four days dead in the tomb and Jesus, out of sympathy and compassion for you, called you by name and you came up out of the grave and you started walking to Jesus. That's what you did. That's what I did. You may have done that when you were eight or five or four or six or 16 or 28 or 48 or 68. But that's what happened for you. You started to walk to the voice of your Savior. And Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time. Let's ask him where he's been and what his experiences were. He just says, unbind him and let him go. He says, take the grave clothes off. Take all that stuff off. And that's, 
Again, a picture of the Christian life. We are alive in Jesus Christ. God has given us his life for crying out loud. And yes, there are grave clothes, but the grave clothes are supposed to come off bit by bit, bit by bit. Take the grave clothes off. And that's, that's our experiences as Christians. One day we'll be completely freed. But until then, Jesus is unbinding us by his power. So note the power. Jesus declares, I'm powerful. I can raise the dead to life, and I've done that in your life. But this should cause in us a dependence and not a denial because those are the only options of what happens when we see his glory. And this is how we'll we'll end really, really quickly. Notice in verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Good call. Smart move. Smart. They believed in him. Verse 46. But some, can you believe it, went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. What in the world? So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we going to do? This man performs many signs. I'd say so. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That's how many people think about surrendering to Jesus. He's going to take away my place. He's going to take away my position. He's going to take away my nation. He's going to take away my kingdom. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, and you'll have to excuse my cartoon voice because Caiaphas shows up on our Jesus videos at home. You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now, where he got this wisdom, it shouldn't be a big surprise to us because in verse 51, it says he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So many that day, many that day on, sorry, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. That's when we are confronted with the power and the passion and the promises of Jesus in a whole new way. There's no middle ground. Either we follow him in dependence, which is what Christ is asking us to do, so take a step forward in dependence upon him and in faith, or we deny him and, and take a step away from him and, and choose to reject him. And ultimately, the ultimate form of that rejection is what these, these folks do. They, they seek to arrest him. He's going he's gonna to take away my kingdom. He's going to take away what's good in my life. He's not good in and of himself. He's, he takes away good. That's the great lie of the evil one. He takes away good. He takes away joy. No, he brings joy. He is He is joy. So what is it this morning that you need to depend upon 
Christ in a whole new way for? What is it that you need to receive his sympathy in your life for? He's able to come to your deepest need, your deepest struggle, your deepest trial. And what he wants us to do is depend in a whole new way as a Christian, a whole new way as a believer. I've never depended upon you, Jesus, in this way, but I want to right now. And if you're not a believer, believe. Believe. Trust in him. Don't be like this the fools that ran away. Trust in the one who is the resurrection and the life. Let's let's all stand and we'll close in prayer. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org. 